Imagine for just a minute that George Washington were to somehow end up in 2019. What do you think he would think about our world today? You see, I've got this on the mind because Columbus Day is coming up soon, and here in Maine, we have now switched Columbus Day to Indigenous Peoples Day because uh, there's a rather controversial issue going on about whether or not Christopher Columbus was actually a moral person. And so the idea is that if Christopher Columbus was to come to here today, he would just be a total racist and hate Native Americans and stuff. But what about George Washington? See, if we were to bring George Washington to America today, well, he had black slaves. He, he's this American icon. Should we tear him down because he had black slaves? Do you think if he came to America today, he would just be like a total racist or something? I don't, personally. You see, George Washington fought for freedom. Just because back then, freedom only was for the white people, doesn't mean that's how it is now. And I think if... George Washington were to come and see this culture that we've made where we've taken African-American people and, for the most part, integrated them into our society with only a few jerks still kicking around? Well, I think he would love that. I don't think that George Washington existing and having African-American slaves really means that he's inherently racist, nor does it mean that he would hate our society now or that we should return to the old way. It certainly doesn't mean that. Maybe the two fit together more than we think they do. The old and the new in one. Freedom. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm going somewhere with this. Right now, it's redeeming the time. I said that and then made peace signs with my hands. Just cue the theme music, would you? folks. In the previous episode, you will recall that we had Mac on the show. We were talking about his mission trip to Australia. If you didn't listen to that last episode, I really didn't push for it strong enough. Uh, you go back, you listen to that. That's a, just an incredible story of what God did uh, through Mac and through uh, Youth of the Mission in Australia. So go back, listen to that. But today, we are resuming our study in John. See, we're not just going through John chronologically. That would be too cliche. No, we're going to talk about design patterns in the book of John. And so the past two episodes have focused on Moses. Today, we're branching out. Now only a third of it is talking about Moses. <laughs> yeah, we're just not done with Moses yet. And that's because John isn't done with Moses. John just keeps, keeps, keeps bringing Moses into the equation. So we got to talk about it. But today, it's Moses and a few other people. See, there's this design pattern in John. I call it the ancestors design pattern. And it's a pattern of three verses that occur, all with very similar language and similar context. And we're going to break them down and see what John has to say about the ancestors. The beginning of this whole thing begins in John chapter 4, which I've talked about like a bajillion times on the show. Again, I'm just going to keep bringing it up. I brought it up in the last episode. It wasn't even John's study. I brought it up with Mac. We're here in John chapter 4. Again, it's the woman at the well. And the woman is like really challenging Jesus like all the time. And the first thing that she challenges him with is this question. Here, pick it up. In John chapter 4, we're going to start in verse 10. All right, so Jesus goes up to the well, asks this lady for some water. She talks about some social stuff about how it's not acceptable and whatnot. And asks him this question in uh, verse 9. How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? 
For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. John decides to tell us that last little bit, that Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Verse 10, Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. All right, this is a really special Jesus way of talking about what he's got to offer, which is more than just this regular this regular water, you know, not, not the physical H2O. He's got something else. That's what's so special about Jesus. And he's trying to offer this to this woman. And she comes back at him with this question. Verse 11. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. See, she's still thinking H2O. Pick it up. Where then do you get this living water? Verse 12. Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself? as well as his sons and his livestock? See, here's the deal. The woman at the well doesn't realize that she's talking to a deity, but she does realize that there's something deeper to the story already. You see, the Samaritans had a really, really high, uh, not high standard, a high position for Jacob. Jacob is the patriarch of that society. It's the furthest back that they really went. Samaritans, they didn't deal with uh, pretty much any scripture at this point in time, even though the entire Old Testament existed in Judah. The Samaritans only went with the Torah, which we call the Pentateuch. Uh, It's the first five books of the Bible. Pentateuch is Greek for five books. Uh, Torah actually means something. Torah means law or commandment or instruction. And so I tend to go with that. That's also it's Hebrew and it's a Hebrew Bible. So we call it the Torah. You've probably heard of it called the Pentateuch. That was the only foundation of their scripture. So they were missing a lot of scripture. Their religion was really different than what was going on in uh, in Judah. And they held a really high respect for Jacob. And she was living in a town where they had a well that had actually been dug out by Jacob and I assume whoever he was with. And this well, I mean, it's the center of a town. This is the middle of nowhere in Israel where you got to get your water from somewhere. They didn't have reservoirs. That was a Roman invention that I think might have started to exist around this time, but probably only for Rome's purposes and not for uh, the, the regions that Rome had dominated. No, the well was the center of life. And the woman at the well acknowledges that. She says, are you greater than Jacob? Because Jacob has given us this life. It's fed us. It's given us the, the livestock. It's the source of our life is this well right here. Are you greater than Jacob? Yes. Keep reading. You see, it turns out that Jesus wasn't just talking about water. He's talking about eternal life. He's talking about a spiritual fullness here, not just H2O. Listen to how he answers. Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst, but the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. Yeah, I would say Jesus is greater than Jacob because Jacob was only capable of digging a hole in the ground that gave him some water. Jesus is talking about a rich spiritual life. You see, if you go on to read this, you're going to read all about this woman's husband and, uh, well, all five of them actually, and the woman that, uh, the man rather that, well, there might've been some women thrown in there. Um, probably not though. Uh, but a man who she's with now is not her husband. So this woman is just 100% an adulteress, and I've heard commentaries before that say that because she was at the well at this time of day and there's no other women there, that she's uh, that somehow part of her being a social outcast for being an adulteress. 
she probably survived, even though the law would require her to be stoned, she probably survived because the Romans were very strict about who got to kill who as it happens. Uh, so they just weren't taking the time to go and tell the Romans, hey, this woman has broken our law, or maybe they weren't letting her. But you got to understand this about her. Her life, yeah, she had life as in the fact that she had cells and Jacob's water was keeping her alive, but her life? Nah, she didn't have one. You see, she was dead and or dying. Her life was in total shambles. But Jesus, in the same way that you can't have life without water, you can't have the spiritual fullness without Jesus. And so this big question here, our big question for today, are you greater than Jacob? Yes, Jacob only has earthly fullness, but Jesus can give you a richness, a real life, an everlasting life. You don't have to continually drink from. It's one and done, and you're full, you're set, and you're living the rich life that we were always supposed to. Are you greater than Jacob? Yes. You see, we're not done, because the pattern continues. Alright, so we're going to pick up the story in John chapter 8, and this is the middle of something bigger. We're going to talk about this section a lot in a later episode, because there's all this stuff about truth and lies and honor and who Jesus is buried into this passage, but we're just going to take a section out here. Uh, we're going to start in verse 48. I'm just going to read. Then the Jews answered and said to him, Do we not say rightly that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. And I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks and judges. You can see this is in between a really, really big uh, section talking about something else. Most assuredly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never see death. This is a very similar claim. You can see how we're already thinking about something we already just read. Well, let's see if the pattern continues. Then the Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham is dead, and the prophets are as well. And you say, If anyone keeps my word, he shall never taste death? Are you greater than our father Abraham, who is dead, and the prophets who are dead? Who do you make yourself out to be? All right, so the pattern continues. Jesus makes a statement about eternal life. The followers of the word will never die. Whoa, that's a big statement, because everyone in our religion that we followed so far, Abraham, Moses, yada, 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 they're all dead, buried in the ground, over. Are you greater than them? Because we built an entire religion based off of what these people lived for, and what they did, and what they believed. You're better than them? You can rise above death? Not possible, Jesus. Get with the program here. Are you greater than Abraham? Yes. Keep reading. Jesus answered, If I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my Father who honors me, of whom you say that he is your God. Yet you have not known him, but I know him. And if I say I do not know him, I shall be a liar like you. Get roasted. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Then the Jews said to him, You are not yet fifty years old. How have you seen Abraham? 
And Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was I am. It's the covenant name. And they took up stones to throw at him and try to kill him, yada, yada, yada. You can read that for yourself. What about that really big line there, though? Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. Remember how I opened up this whole thing with George Washington? This is what it's about. The Jews were unable to reconcile who Jesus was and who their religion was founded on. There's these foundations, and Jesus didn't seem to line up with it. And to their credit, that's a really complicated thing. There's one book of the New Testament that tries to reconcile this. It's called Hebrews. And Hebrews is an incredibly difficult read. Like, you read it, you're going to be lost unless you have a very thorough understanding of the Old Testament and the New Testament combined. Like, Hebrews is next-level stuff. In fact, there's even a verse in Hebrews that is about, have you been keeping up so far? Yeah, you're not about to. We're going to jump into overdrive. It's great. It's like 417, I want to say. No, I think that's wrong. That's a different verse. There's a verse in Hebrews that's like that. I'll put it in the description of this episode. It's just, Hebrews is out of this world kind of mind-boggling, huge, huge, huge theological stuff. Trying to reconcile how Jesus fits into the Old Testament. So, granted, in their favor here, that's a really difficult thing to do. And yet, it doesn't really seem like they were trying. You can see throughout all of the Gospels, a lot of the people, the Pharisees especially, are just completely inadequate at trying to reconcile who Jesus is. They don't give him a chance. They just reject him outright. And once they have that narrative, everything else builds into it. They're always just trying to prove how he isn't who he says he is by using their old version of how things, uh, how things go. So how does Jesus answer? Jesus answers by using the covenant name. He says, I am. It's basically a statement saying, I'm God. Are you greater than Abraham? Yeah, actually, Abraham loved me. I'm God. And of course, they lose their minds and try to kill him over it. But it turns out he was right. He is God. Well, now what do you make of that? Are you greater than Abraham? Yeah. Yeah, you're greater than Abraham. I really want to break this down, but we've got one more stop in the scriptures, and it's a big one. Alright, so I'm going to give you a summary now. So you don't even have to turn the page in your Bible, most likely. The next story of the Bible is the record of a blind man getting his sight restored by Jesus. And so there's all this stuff. Basically, Jesus heals a blind guy on the Sabbath, and that's really cool. But the Pharisees, being the Pharisees, lose their minds because how dare awesome, miraculous things happen on the Sabbath? Dun, dun, dun. This is like the worst thing that's ever happened to them. So they absolutely lose their minds. They launch a full investigation. Picture like, as I'm recording this right now, there's this whole impeachment inquiry going on with Trump, and it's just digging, 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 digging. It's pretty much been his entire uh, presidency has been an investigation. We're digging, 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 digging. The Pharisees launch this whole investigation into Jesus. How dare he do this on the Sabbath, yada, yada, yada. And they're getting in... The, uh, the blind guy and the blind guy's uh, parents, and they're just trying to get witnesses. 
And so we're going to pick up in verse 16. Therefore, some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. Others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. Again, sounds a lot like our modern political realm. Keep going. They said to the blind man again, What do you say about him because he opened your eyes? He said, He is a prophet. But the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of him who had received his sight, and they asked them, saying, Is this your son, who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? They're paraphrased here. They're like, We don't know. Did you try asking him? He's an adult. Like, just use him as a witness. Like, don't get us involved in this. Great parents. Verse 24, So they called again the man who was blind, and said to him, Give God the glory. We know this man is a sinner. He answered and said, Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. I I love this guy. You're going to see why in just a minute. Then they said to him again, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? Repetitive questions. He answered them, I told you already, and you didn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Wait for it. Do you also want to be his disciples? Oh, yeah. You can hear the veins popping in the Pharisees. Oh, spectacular. This guy's just a total ball of snark. I love it. But he's not done yet. Keep going. I told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? Here comes our big phrase. Then they reviled him and said, you are his disciple, but we are Moses' disciples. We know that God spoke to Moses. As for this fellow, we do not know where he is from. All right. So you'll notice, unlike the other two, which were verbatim copies of each other, uh, this instance is a little bit different. See, the Pharisees don't even, they, they skip the question. They don't even ask, is Jesus greater than Moses? No, they just straight up use it on this guy. See, you're a follower of that guy, but we're followers of Moses. And obviously Moses is greater than Jesus. They skip the question entirely because that's just how they are. Let's see how this plays out. It's really fun. Spoiler warning. I love this guy. Verse 30. The man answered and said to them, Why? This is a marvelous thing that you do not know where he is from. Yet he has opened my eyes. Translation into modern English sass. Dang. You guys are blind as bats. You can't see what's right in front of your face. It is so obvious. It is a marvel to me that you are this ignorant of the truth. Verse 31. Now we know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, he hears him. Since the world began, it has been unheard of that anyone opened the eyes of the one who was born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. If anyone should have known this, it should have been the Pharisees. They should have realized the truth of the scriptures. This was just a guy. He couldn't read the Torah. He couldn't read anything. For most of his life, he's blind until like two days ago, okay? These guys studied the Torah. They should have known that Jesus is exactly who he said he is. And yes, that he's greater than Moses. Because Moses never healed a blind guy. Keep reading. Dramatic page turn. Verse 34, they answered and said to him, you were completely born in sins, and are you teaching us? And they cast him out. 
Well, the irony is, he was. Dang, dude. Keep reading, the story doesn't end there. Jesus heard that they had him cast out, and when he had found him, he said, and I love this, Jesus hears about this, and he just hunts the guy down. I hadn't thought of that until literally just now when I read that. Jesus heard that news, and then just went and hunted this guy down. Interesting. I kind of want to break that down, but I'm not. After he had found him, he said to him, Do you believe in the Son of God? Alternative question, what I think is being asked in the narrative of this, the, the context of this narrative here. Do you believe that the Son of God is greater than Moses? Again, I'm not plugging words into what Jesus is saying, but in the way that John has structured this narrative, I think that's, at the very least, what's going on in this guy's mind. Are you going to acknowledge that I am who I say I am, and that these followers of Moses are missing a key part of the equation? Do you believe in the Son of God? He answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, You have both seen him, and it is he who is talking to you. So Jesus reveals himself cryptically, like always, to this guy. And what's his response? He says, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. And Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world, that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may be made blind. Then some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these words and said to him, Are we blind also? Oh, I see where this is going. Okay. So we've had this whole narrative where you've got a blind guy, and the blind guy gets healed, and then through this description, uh, not through this description, through this like debate and discussion and investigation involving the Pharisees and who Jesus is and the greatness of Moses, it's revealed that even though that guy was physically blind, the Pharisees have been spiritually blind. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, this is all starting to make sense. So the Pharisees ask, are we also blind? What does Jesus say? If you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say, we see. Therefore, your sin remains. Dang it. I was wrong, but in like the best way possible. See, the expectation here is that Jesus is going to say that they're blind. And this whole thing has all been a metaphor for blindness and getting us thinking about spiritual blindness. That's not the direction where Jesus takes it. Jesus takes it in the direction of, no, you're not blind. You're ignorant. If you were literally unable to see what was in front of you, if you didn't have the whole story in front of you, then you would at least not be guilty of what you're guilty of now. But you're not blind. You're claiming you're able to see everything. You can see everything that adds up to the fact that Jesus is exactly who he says he is. And you don't have to compare Abraham and Jacob and Moses and their greatness to the greatness of Jesus. No. You see, they all fit together. Abraham rejoiced to see his day. George Washington would love to see that America is more about freedom now than it ever has been. No matter what political debates we have going on in our world right now, America is more free than it ever has been, and we're all about it today. George Washington would love to see that. Abraham rejoiced to see Jesus' day. Jacob rejoiced 
to see Jesus' day. Moses rejoiced to see Jesus' day. In fact, I think at this point in the story, Moses had already been summoned on a mountain and had chatted face-to-face with Jesus at Jesus' behest, okay? Like, you can't make this stuff up. Now, granted, the Pharisees didn't realize that that happened, but of course, Jesus is greater than Moses because Jesus is God. And John, in his journey of answering the question, who is this guy, is clearly making the point through this triple pattern of ancestors, saying Jesus is greater than they are. This old way of doing things. It's not that it's inferior, but it's just missing the key part of the story. It's missing the Messiah. That's this guy. Jesus is greater than them. But they fit into the story too. And so the Pharisees, because they ignored the just obvious fact that Jesus is exactly who he says he is, that's why they're not blind. They're just guilty. They are guilty of rejection of the truth because Jesus is obviously greater than everything they have founded their faith upon because he's the source of it. Well, there's some stuff to think about. I hope you do think about it. I'm definitely going to be thinking about it. I think when we reconcile the Old Testament to the New Testament, this is a very important idea to keep in mind. I I hope you keep thinking about George Washington. I hope that sticks with you, because that's what jumps to mind for me. If we were to somehow just cross time over, how would the Old Testament interact with the New Testament? What if, you know, Moses was reading Romans? Moses would love it. Romans is all about the law. And if Moses could see how the whole thing fit together with who Jesus is, I mean, he would just be mind-blown. But that's not how the Pharisees saw it. In their own pride, they felt like they had it all figured out instead of letting the the story that God is trying to write out, not even that he's trying, that he could fail, but that we're trying to understand the story that God is writing out. And they're just completely ignorant of the fact Don't be ignorant. I think that's the moral of the story with the ancestors, that Jesus is a part of the old way, but he's greater than the the old way. And the interaction between Jesus and the old way equals the new way. That's what's so special about the Bible. And that's what John was trying to tell us with the ancestors, I think. So next episode, I'm not sure where to go next because this ends our little uh, Moses episode or Moses uh, series trilogy here. We're going to stop talking about ancestors finally. Uh, We're going to start talking about some other interesting patterns in the book of John. We've got several others. We've got the light. We've got the life. We've got the truth. We've got all sorts of things. So I don't even know where I'm going with this next. But believe me, it's going to be pretty dang sweet. So if you're not already uh, following Redeeming the Time, you can do that. I don't know if I've ever explicitly said that you can do that. Uh, You can follow us on Facebook, and I try to post uh, updates there whenever I am posting things. And on our podcasting services, which are Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, you can subscribe. Each of those uh, different services have the ability to subscribe. And within that, you can, I think, set on all of them notification settings. So I have notification settings uh, for the podcast that I'm uh, subscribed to. You can subscribe to this podcast and you will be notified, uh, hopefully, of the next episode that comes out. 
and we can just keep going through the Book of John and just unearthing everything that's in here. I've got other studies coming down the, the hatch. I think I'm going to interrupt this study again. Maybe I'll do alternations. I've been doing this massive study into what the soul is in Hebrew scriptures, and I'm honestly just really excited to talk about what that is. That has been a, a huge journey. So we're going to see. But in all of this, remember, the, the foundation of redeeming the time is that we are living the Christian life in, in the best way that we can be. You know, the kingdom is here, let's live like it. And I hope that if you're not learning anything uh, from the, the spiritual lessons in the book of John here, you're at least learning some Bible study tools. Design patterns was this like crazy, uh, when I first heard about it, it sounded like this crazy like code breaking part of the Bible and that's really not how it is. The Bible is 100% founded with these design patterns in mind. And if we follow them through, instead of just reading through books uh, chronologically and taking them piece by piece, we let the whole thing string itself together like it was always meant to, uh, it's mind-boggling. It's fantastic. So I hope you're at least learning skills on how to do that. And in the meantime, while you're hopefully putting your skills and design patterns to use, and maybe doing a massive study on what a soul is, uh, I will see you guys back, hopefully, next week, with a brand new episode of Redeeming the Time. God bless.